You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. I think we can all stipulate that Napa needs a new city hall. A world-class city deserves better than it has now. In addition, government offices scattered all over downtown is also not the most efficient way to run a city, even one the size of Napa. But does that mean that the alternative is to build a Taj Mahal? To build Napa's biggest public project at $152 million and rising and have it built by officials that have never taken on a project of that size, one that has only gotten minimal public input, and a city council that has not really explored all of the alternatives. A few weeks ago here on Napa Broadcasting, you heard Mike Parnas make the case for doing just this. Now Parnas is gone. Police Chief Steve Potter is stepping in to take over management of the city, and this change could be the perfect opportunity to really reassess where we are on this project and figure out what's next. Sure, it'll be an issue in the upcoming council election, but if you think the city is clueless as to how to do a project of this size, most of the ragtag would-be council candidates are even more clueless. So where do we begin? Napa community member John Salmon thinks he at least knows the right questions to ask. He's been asking them lately, but so far to no avail. Now, with the change in city management, maybe that will also change. We're going to talk about that today as John joins us here in the studio. John Salmon, thanks so much for coming in. Good afternoon, Jeff. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us to talk about this. You've been uh, talking about this for a while, but before we get into the merits of this project and the way it's evolved, I want to talk a little bit about your background and and really your interest in this, but really how it dovetails with some of the things that you have spent years and years and years of your life doing. Not that many years. (laughs) (laughs) One less years. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, I started out in Chicago as an accountant and attorney and um, was fortunate in in the mid-80s to move to San Francisco to manage a very large real estate company's uh, sale property sale and development operations. That company was uh, is now called Catellus Development. At the time, it was Santa Fe Pacific Realty. And it owned 3 million acres of land in 38 states, or a land area about three times the size of Rhode Island. So I had a great deal of experience working on real estate all over the country. Um, and uh, after that, I was fortunate to be asked by Pete Wilson to go up to the governor's office here in Sacramento. and try to bring new real estate policies, private real estate policies, to state government. So in that job for five years, I worked on over six million square feet of state office building consolidations. Put that in perspective, here in Napa, the building being discussed is about 120,000 feet or so. So just a, it's a small microcosm of the work I did in Sacramento. And uh, also dealt with public land owned by the state, which I'm sorry to report, uh, but happy to report that we fixed it, that in 1990, the state of California did not have an inventory of its real estate. There were 39 departments of state government that owned or leased property. And if I wanted to know what was happening in San Francisco, I needed to make 39 phone calls and hope that the leaders of those 39 agencies would actually disclose what they owned. So um, one of the first things we did, and just dovetails with this, is put together a, basically because in the early 90s we had the computing power to do it, a graphic representation of all the state-owned properties in San Diego, Los Angeles, 
Sacramento, uh, San Francisco. And in doing that, we found out that the state of California owned eight city blocks next to San Francisco City Hall, but they were leasing over a million square feet of office space in 40 locations around the city. So um, as a facility manager, and I'm sure you've got many in your audience that have managed corporate facilities, that's not a very good way to run a business. And so I I went into uh, Governor Wilson and I said, Governor, uh, are we planning on moving our San Francisco offices to Iowa anytime soon? And of course, he looked at me with a very puzzled look and and he said, well, no, John, we're not. And I said, well, that's the only reason, like business reason that I can think of why we would be in 40 leased offices in in San Francisco in over a million square feet. And the longest lease was only three years in the most expensive office market at the time in this in the country. So that set off a process to build a million square foot building in San Francisco. It's actually this the California Supreme Court building immediately adjacent to and to the right of City Hall when you're at standing in Civic Center Plaza. Um, that building was also done design build, one of the actually the first design build project done by the state of California. And uh, actually done with a bill that was sponsored by Willie Brown when he was in the legislature. And with Willie, I put together a model of San Francisco, San Francisco City Hall, excuse me, the Civic Center, which actually showed that uh, a design that Daniel Burnham had done in the early 1900s. Hmm. Daniel Burnham, who also was famous for Grant Park in Chicago and many other civic centers, and San Francisco's Civic Center actually started at the Van Ness and went all the way over to Mission Street, a little bit like a hockey stick. And so today, when you're in that area, look, as a result of my pulling out that plan, the federal government actually put the federal building over on Mission Street. So now a plan that was started in probably 1904 is not quite finished yet, but it's, it's a plan that's still being used. So with that kind of history... Um, we can talk more specifically about Napa. What Napa is doing really is designing its future city for 100 years. Mm-hmm. Is it your experience that when you look at governments, whether it's city government, state government, whatever, getting involved in these real estate projects, that the problems, that the obstacles, that the way it's approached is often the same? Are there the same traps that get set every time? Uh, there, there are, and I, I think the, the one thing I tried to do when I was in the governor's office is bring the best real estate companies to government. I mean, one, one of the problems that government has is it's not a good customer. Uh, it, it, private sector doesn't like working with government, at least the best elements of the private sector, because uh, it's done by committee, nobody's in charge, things get changed all the time, projects stop and start, and, and, and it's just very difficult to work with them, and usually not very profitable. So when we did those six million square feet of buildings when I was with the governor, I actually made an extra effort to go to the private sector and bring in companies that weren't normally working with government. The San Francisco building was designed by Skidmore Owens and Merrill. Uh, Never before had they done a California state building. In fact, the state architect who did all the state buildings before that had a design criteria which I used to describe 
that it, the, the design criteria for the state architect was that it doesn't matter what the biz, the building costs as long as it looked cheap. That was that was <laughs> that was the and and that phrase became rather famous in the in the legislature um, and got us away from state architect designing buildings. Uh, the developer of that building was Heinz Interest, who's done office buildings around the world. The world. Yeah. And and the reason they got involved was not because it was a state building or a million square foot building, but because of the people that were presented to them who would carry the project forward. So um, it, it can be done, but it's really, really difficult. And I want to very quickly add that the city has hired a, a company by the name of Plenary Group, who is fabulous, but they dedicate themselves to public buildings. So I guess what I'm trying to suggest is that the private sector real estate people who are in the private sector stay with the private sector, but there is a cadre now of real estate companies that gear themselves to the public sector and actually organize to serve that serve that business doesn't mean they do a bad job just means they're set up for the fits and the starts given that they are set up for the fits and the starts why should we worry so much if they brought in a company that that you think is is a good company that has experience dealing with the craziness of government the ups and downs the committee etc why should we be worried about the degree to which the city council and the city manager have a grip on this I, th- I think that's uh, uh, fundamentally one of the problems here in Napa. The the city council, I believe, has a false sense of security that plenary is giving them their best advice on what need be done for the c- civic center and the superblock. And and actually, what plenary is, plenary is a real estate consultant who, with respect to the superblock, is using their expertise to develop a private development. But with respect to City Hall, is simply following the instructions of city staff. And so to the extent that city staff provides some bad instruction or bad direction, the city council doesn't know that. They believe that they're getting the best advice from plenary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a perfect example of that is um, in the original plans that came out for the building last fall, the um, because and, and I, I disagree with this as a strategy. One of the one of the uh, strategies of the new city hall is that the police headquarters and city hall will be in the same building. Police headquarters around the state are subject to what's called the Essential Services Act, which means the building requires additional uh, security, additional protection, uh, additional seismic work, and, and basically becomes a fortress that will allow government to continue forever. City Hall does not have that same requirement, but by putting the police headquarters in the same building as the city administration, the entire building becomes an essential services building and causes additional costs that wouldn't otherwise be caused. Most communities solve this problem by having the development of police headquarters and City Hall, if they're adjacent, be horizontally uh, built so that City Hall is in one building, there might be a small central lobby to both buildings, and then horizontally on a larger mm-hmm. piece of property, the police headquarters would be adjacent. Um, the vert- so the vertical integration is, is really a problem. Just one example of that is that uh, one of the essential services requirements is that all police emergency vehicles have to be in secure parking. So in the first designs for the building, the, for the uh, city proposed city for hall proposed building. city hall this is going back to last fall the 
parking for 28 SWAT vehicles, police emergency and emergency vehicles, was put on the first floor of the building, inside the building. Now, the square foot cost of the building was probably going to approach eight to $900 a foot, square foot, which means based on the size of a normal parking space, each one of those parking spaces would cost $374,000. All right, a parking space in a parking lot out outside in a screened area costs about $10,000. So I pointed that out to the, in one of the meetings last fall, and they actually changed the plan to move the parking out into Washington Street, which they're going to close. But now by doing that, by putting secured parking on one side of the building, all ground-level access to the building is cut off because you can't get through the screened-in parking area. So the building is only accessible on three sides. I want to talk more about the super block and explain to our listeners what it is. But first of all, when you were doing this for the state and the governor's office, it was your job. You were getting compensated for it. Not the case in, in this instance. Talk a little bit about what you've been involved clearly in, in community activity before. You were very involved in, in the effort to revitalize Copia. But what brought you to this project? Why have you gotten so involved with it? Well, I moved to Napa in 1998 after a career in real estate development. And um, I decided that I love Napa so that I would have two rules for myself. First is I would never develop anything for myself in Napa. And secondly, I would never have another employee. And, and both have served me well. I've, I probably have a lot of people that don't like me in Contra Costa County for developments I've done there <laughs> and folks in Sonoma County that don't like me there. But what, what the benefit of that was is that folks in town that know me know that I have real experience in real estate development and urban planning. Um, but I don't, have a, I, I don't have an oar in the Napa water, if you will. Uh-huh. I, other than my home, I have no other economic interest. And, and so it does two things. One, it, it gives what I say a little bit more credibility for people who know my history. But I think more important, um, it allows me to speak up. Um, I, I wrote a letter to the editor of the Register a few weeks ago, and I got—I couldn't believe the number of comments that I got from people that I know, who thanked me for writing that letter, not just for what I said, but because they were fearful of saying something, for for fear that there might be some retribution, because they were trying to process a building permit, or that you know that saying anything mm-hmm. bad about city staff might uh, cause them some economic harm in any, something they were doing in town. So I, I guess that's why I'm involved, because I, I can, uh, I understand it, and I'm not afraid to. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the super block before. A lot of our listeners may not know what that is. Explain what you refer to and what Mike Parnes, when he was here, referred to as the super block. Uh, one of the premises on which this project was started, I think, by, by the city manager, um, was that he wanted to set it up in a way that he could say that it wasn't going to cost the taxpayers of Napa anything, all right? And so fundamentally, the project was started not on the, we need a city hall and a police headquarters, but we need to find a way to pay for a city hall and a police headquarters. And so one of the ways to do that is to sell public land. Another way to do it is to sell that public land for hotel development, which generates a transit occupancy tax of some magnitude. So kind of in a backwards way, the super block is the funding for the the new civic center 
doesn't pay for all of it, although over time it, it certainly will help. But um, what, what it does is it puts the city in a position of competing with the private sector on other hotel development. It gets the developer of that super block in a very tricky legal situation because there are many people, including me, who believe that the development by the private sector on a piece of land purchased from the public sector to fund a public project, i.e. City Hall, places the superblock development under the prevailing wage laws right. of the state, which is a liability that, that actually falls back on the city. So somebody could come back years from now and sue the Yeah, city. that seems to be an unclear issue. No, I mean, if well, you ask lawyers about it, it I mean, to your point, yeah. it could go on for years yeah. as a legal battle. Exactly. and and um, But it's but it could be a, a very large number. I mean, it could be a very, very large number, especially when hotels are involved, when most of our hotels here in Napa are not union-operated. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're non-union. So... Um, in, in any events, the development of the superblock of a hotel, housing, retail, which we don't need because we've got more retail than we'll ever need, uh, which is uh, probably the subject for a whole nother another radio program, show. Right. Um, and, and just on, on the side, I started my career building warehouse buildings around O'Hare Airport in Chicago and watched as just-in-time manufacturing came to life. And, and warehouses, which were needed because manufacturers were bad at ordering raw material and bad at scheduling production for finished goods, needed the warehouses to put the stuff. All of a sudden, they got really good at scheduling materials and didn't need warehouses, which was the beginning of the R&D phase of, right. of uh, buildings. We have no alternative uses for a lot of this retail buildings. When we talk about the superblock and all the problems that are inherent with that, and you touched on some of them, and certainly there are a few more, talk about what you understand to be the reasons this came to be the direction that the city seemed to want to go in. Well, there was an RFQ process to to the you know, credit of the city. I mean, they went through a process. Nobody really watched it, I don't think, very closely because it's about a lot of mumbo-jumbo for the guy in the street. Um, there were three uh, proposers, one dropped out, uh, leaving plenary with the, pro- the current proposal, and one other pro- proposal by a company that had identified a property on Soskal, which was vacant and could be used f- for the, the building of a new city right. hall. And um, for reasons probably that that was out of downtown, you know, it was mm-hmm. kind of in an, an awkward place, uh, the city council went with the solution of building in in the downtown area, and um, that project came in with this joint superblock to fund the city hall. What what the so I, I think if you just go back to May of 2017, what that when that decision was made, I I suspect that um, it was, and I, and I don't want to say this in a bad way, but a lack of experience that didn't see the pitfalls in that. I did speak at that city hall meeting. Um, I, I think I cautioned about the double moves that would be created because the only way to, to connect the financing with the, with the new construction is to vacate all of the city offices within the super block, which includes police headquarters and fire station, right. and all of the community development block, and go somewhere else for what the city says is going to be two years, which 
we know will be three. I mean, uh, could be four. I mean, right. given given what happened with the Archer and an earthquake and rain and I mean, construction uh, Glazer. I mean, the Archer was delayed because of the Salesforce Tower in San Francisco had occupied every Glazer who put windows in a building. They couldn't get Glazers to come and put windows in the Archer Hotel. So I mean, things can happen during construction. Worse, they'll scatter these city offices all over downtown or outside of downtown and and people will just go nuts trying to find where they pay a bill or you know get a water leak there's also a tremendous amount of cost in relocating and relocating again right absolutely and and it's not just in physical costs of moving and and renting space etc but it's it's really disruptive costs i mean just Mm -hmm. the function of government really will get disturbed Mm -hmm. so um you know, I, th- I think the other thing that that does too, which bothers me quite a bit, the project currently is being talked about as a hundred and twenty million dollar project. I know how government budgets, and I know how they can stuff things into different projects. So all of those costs that are going to be expended for interim space are probably going to go on a different budget, and 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 so we'll really never know exactly how much this project would cost if it proceeds the way it is. Which raises to the question of what the alternatives are um, and why the council and the city manager and, and even the, the, the original RFQ didn't look at other alternatives and other ways to approach this. Well, in an RFQ process, you're pretty much confined to what is brought to you, right? So the process is driven by, by the proposers, basically. Um, I, I think what could have happened and probably should have happened before um, – uh, before they went out with the RFQ, is the city should have decided where it wanted City Hall and should have decided where it wanted police headquarters. And and that's a process that I tried to bring up now probably three years ago, three or four years ago. I put together a map of downtown Napa and and showed anybody that was willing to look at it how much city and county and sanitation district property was actually owned within a very small area from Jefferson Street over to Saskal and from maybe uh, the Napa, Napa River Inn up north on Main Street. We'll um, put a link in here to that. People can, can I, take I a look at that. I will be happy to post it. Yeah. And, and uh, I think when people look at it, they should realize some of the properties like Veterans Park probably will always have to be Veterans Park. But a bad garage on 2nd Street doesn't need to be a bad garage on 2nd Street forever. I mean, it could be torn down and something else put up there. The Sullivan block sits empty next to the county building. The counties move most of their building, most of their people out to day labs. I don't know that they even need the county administration building anymore. Maybe that could be a city hall. So I think had the city and the county sat down together and gone through all its property ownership and said, okay, where where should city hall be? And, and gone to a piece of property that wasn't currently occupied all right so the construction could take place when construction was finished there would be one move of the city administrative space to the new building and i i think that the police department doesn't need to be downtown we have some maintenance yards here in in town that could very well be consolidated and the police i think probably would be better situated in a place like saskal and and uh, lincoln lincoln where there is currently a city corporation yard, far bigger than what's necessary there, and there could be some housing built next to it. Um, that's, those are questions that could have been asked that weren't, I don't believe, asked, 
and uh, maybe they still can be asked. I mean, we're not, you know, the buildings aren't built yet, so there's always a chance. Talk a little bit about what the Sullivan Block is. People know it as really the parking lot next to the county administration building. It, it is the parking lot immediately west of the county administration building and uh, before the church, uh, which we all love so dearly. Which has been an issue. I mean, the county was looking at that to build right. something at one point. I can't even remember what, but I do remember that blocking the church became this huge issue. No, there's no question about that. It did, and, and it would have to be dealt with. There's, in, in the design of any building that's built on that block, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things you have to deal with. I, I don't... I think I have probably three different alternatives that are better than what we're doing. Um, and I'm kind of mox nicks, as I use an old expression. Uh, either one, anyone is fine and better than what we're doing now. But we'll, we won't get there unless we talk about it. Talk a little bit about city-county cooperation in this, why you think it's so necessary, and why it hasn't happened. Well, there's two things. Well, one is... The counties, after they bought day labs, took care of their facility needs for quite a while. Um, they need to deal with the Carruthers building, uh, which they, they should probably just get out of and sell. I understand there's some certificates of participation on that. There are ways to defease those. I mean, there, there are ways to deal with the financing. Um, but what the county really needs right now is money. They need money to build a new jail, which they absolutely have to build, and in which they're on a path to build. To build. And they will build as much as they can with whatever money they have. So if they've got more money, they'll, they could build it all, which is certainly less expensive than building it in eight stages or whatever the money raising is. The city, on the other hand, needs a new police headquarters. No question that our police facilities are totally inadequate. We don't satisfy seismic requirements in the existing building. We uh, don't have the kind of evidence storage that needs to take place. I mean, I've been interested to find out that our list, local police department needs to store evidence for 99 years. I mean, it's just ridiculous uh, storage requirements. Um, and and I'd love to have a new city hall. I mean, I you know I, we could probably get by with the one we have, but it'd be nice to have a new one. Uh, it is inefficient the way the officers are scattered around the, the area. So um, I guess I, I went on there and I lost the question. Well, I mean, the question really was city-county cooperation. Oh, I'm and sorry. why has there not been more of an effort to at least talk about right. potential I, I, efforts? I, I thought with the, the um, three younger members of the county board um, and with the composition of the city council, this would be a great time for those kinds of conversations to occur. Uh, I talk with both city council members and county board members individually, and all of them say they'd love to talk with their counterparts. <laughs> so I don't know who to believe anymore. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the problem has been? Well, I think historically there were the typical governmental problems. Um, you know, the government, I mean, nobody in the county government or in the city government looks at you and I and say that we're both their customer, we're both their owner. You know, as a taxpayer, we pay both the county and the city, and we'd like to see them operate as a single entity. They just don't. I mean, you go to the state government, there are 39 agencies of state government well, that don't Well, the but the one thing that's different here, and, you know, not to be lost, that of the five members of the Board of Supervisors, four of them represent parts of the city of Napa. It's true. This is true. I mean, I know. So, but I, but I don't think... 
you know, it's it's kind of who's who's going to raise their hand first, and and nobody has really been willing to raise their hand. The staff will not do it. I mean, this has got to come from the elected officials. I could not have done any of the things I did in Sacramento for Governor Wilson without the the business card with a gold seal on it that said I was from the governor's office. I mean, it's just the way government works. Uh-huh. Talk a little bit about how far along the city is in this process and what it would take right now, even if the city wanted to slow it down or pause it or stop it. Well, I, I don't have the internal numbers, so I can only guess at, at where they are. I suspect that they've probably spent somewhere around a million to a million and a half dollars in staff time and outside consultants to get where they are. In addition, were they to, to stop the contract with the plenary group, there is a breakup fee in that that probably will cost them another million dollars or, or thereabouts. I think that cost can be avoided because I think the plenary group should stay as a consultant to the city. I, they've done absolutely nothing wrong and have all the information and all the relationships to be able to continue on whatever project the uh-huh. city chooses to do. With respect to the million and a half dollars that's already been spent, some portion of that, impossible for me to identify, was spent to identify the organizational needs of each of the city departments, how many square feet a secretary should have, how many conference rooms they need, and all the programming elements Uh of planning a building. And that information is useful to the architect, whether it's put in the current building or moved into another box, basically. So some portion of that million and a half, or two maybe, I don't know how much they've actually spent, is is clearly um, reusable, if, if you will, and helpful. What would it take in terms of political will at this point to, to slow this down, to at least pause it right now? What, what would have to happen? Uh, you know, I'm, I've never run for office and never planned to, so I don't know, I don't know how to measure will. I, I know that I've had no difficulty speaking up uh, mm-hmm. and, and being open that if I'm wrong, uh, happy to be you know, told that I'm wrong and uh, have somebody help to explain to me why I'm wrong. To the extent that I have written letters to the city council and the city staff at every point at every city council meeting that's taken place on City Hall going back to May of 2017, what the reaction for me has been is, is like the parking spaces, they work around the edges. All right? mm. I have pointed out that the strategy is wrong, that the, the, the fundamental approach to building this project is wrong, and nobody seems, to, nobody seems yet willing to take that step. Um, I think that, that um, a fresh look might help. I think that Steve, I've got great respect for Steve Potter. I have great respect for Mike Parnas. I mean, I, he's done a good job for the city. Uh, I feel awful with the health issues he's had right. and, and uh, wish him very well as he, as he goes forward into retirement. But um, this was Mike's project. Um, There's no question that he was totally in charge of it and, and was driving it. And um, Steve Potter's got a lot of new things to work on. I mean, he knows the police department, but uh, he's got a lot of city government to, to learn about. And um, so I, I think one of the things the council could do rather than having the will to do anything is have the will to give Steve Potter a chance. Have, have the will to give Steve Potter a chance to get into the manager's seat and 
gain the reins of city government unfettered with a really complicated and complex project. And just pausing it for that reason alone would be, I think, really beneficial. You've been at all those meetings you mentioned where this has been discussed. How public a process has this been, and how does it compare to other similar kinds of projects in your personal experience with respect to public input? Well, that's a good one. I, you know, on the development side, the developer in me, I, since I tried to do a very large gaming project in Richmond, uh, there used to be three people in favor of the project and 300 against it. So, you know, it's a uh, fact. I even had one night where a woman got up to the microphone at public comment and, and complained that our project was going to bring crime to Richmond, which I will never forget <laughs> at a time when R- Richmond had more murders than Chicago. Um, the, uh, Reaction, there really hasn't been any, um, uh, up until maybe the last three or four months, there was nobody that would come to these meetings for this purpose. Mm-hmm. There'd be people in the room because there was some other thing going right. on at the council. But it, it's complicated. It's kind of inside baseball. It's it's not a, you know, and there wasn't enough information. It wasn't until November of last year that any concept drawings even came out. And I remember at that meeting, all the questions were about the roof overhang, whether the roof overhang overhung the street, you know, more than it should, and whether it would block the sun. Um, so it had nothing to do with 120 million dollars being spent by the city right. or any of the other issues that were involved. If the city were to build on the Sullivan Block or use some of the county administrative building or, or any one of these other ideas, what would you conceive happening to the existing superblock? I think both this, the, both, all of the city-owned land that's not necessary for a police headquarters or a city hall or a, a city park right, should be zoned for housing at whatever density this, the city council chooses to put on it. And I would start in the, with this downtown specific plan. You know, if you can do five-story of apartment, great, do it. Um, and so you could have everything from 30 or 35 units to the acre, and then on the edges maybe go down to 10 units to the acre, 15, whatever, and then sell it. Give it to the private sector. One of the things I've learned just in the last few weeks is that all of downtown Napa has been uh, designated an opportunity zone under the new Federal Tax Act, which is an opportunity for people with appreciated stock or real estate to defer capital gains on property that they wish to sell today if they reinvest the proceeds of that sale in an opportunity zone. So we could have a lot of new housing built by people right here in Napa who are reluctant to sell property because they don't want to pay the capital gains tax. They could actually Uh either defer it or eliminate it entirely. What about the idea of using that property in part for a hotel, again, as a way to defray some of the cost of a new city hall, wherever it might be? You know, the the TOT, and I said this to Mike Parnas, He's designating the TOT from the hotel and the Superblock for the Civic Center, but any TOT on any hotel anywhere in the city of Napa could be designated for City Hall. So, it, it, uh, I mean, that's just a, it's a um, red herring argument, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a term I haven't used for a long time. I don't know, do we even still do red herrings on prospectuses? I think so, yeah. Okay, yes. good. <laughs> what, about, what about the cost of it? Because even moving it, again, to the Sullivan Block or somewhere else, if, if a new building is going to be built, 
some of the same issues arise. You have a big project, certainly bigger than any other project that the city has handled, arguably. And you have, you know, people that, that have not had that experience before and all the construction issues that you've touched upon, the potential for it going way over budget and all those problems that you've mentioned are all still there, even if it's built somewhere else. What we did with the state, which worked out really well, was first make that decision about where the building should go. Second thing we did was we gave the, the development community all the requirements. Here are the 12 departments that go in the building. Here's you know how many square feet they need. Here's how much uh, conference space or public meeting mm-hmm. space we need. And, and then, we, then we went out to the public sector, excuse me, the private sector, and said, okay, there's the land, there's the requirement. Tell us what it would cost to build it and what it would look like. So we got three apples to compare, apple, apple, apple. And if the private sector was brought into it knowing that whoever was selected would actually get to build the building, we could get a Heinz interest. We could get a Skidmore owns a mural. We could get a we could get the best of the best to come to Napa, because as much as we here in Napa sometimes forget, you know, would think we're just a quiet little town in Northern California, the rest of the world thinks we're right. pretty important, and so that includes the real estate community. Of course, there's no question that this will become some kind of an issue, as I mentioned in the introduction, in the upcoming city council campaign. That's a two-edged sword because there also can be an awful lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, a lot of rhetoric that doesn't help solve the problem. I I, I think that's true, but um, you know I guess that the the thing that I've landed on in the election season is is that people that are running for office are happiest if they don't have to answer. So um, if they can say, well, why don't we just let Steve Potter get in his chair and figure it out? Um, may be the best answer. Uh-huh. And, and you know, I think involving, perhaps involving, the we've got a lot of people here in Napa, and I, you know, I, I happen to have pretty good background in real estate. There are a lot of other people that do too who've run large corporate uh-huh. real estate programs, who've been CEOs of corporations with facilities all around the world. And, and these are not unique issues i mean they're they're all the same I mean, it involves government and you know so maybe you've got some restrictions and requirements that are a little different than the private sector but basically you got to find where you want to build it you got to figure out what to build you got to build it and you got to pay for it uh-huh. I mean, those things just don't change right how long are you going to stay with this what are you going to do next in terms of continuing to try and get people to focus on this um, I, I am going to do everything I can to get the city council to give Steve Potter a chance to get his arms around what his job is, which is running the city, and, um, and then offer up, I think, what I'd, what I'd like to see happen, whether we can get it to happen or not. I would like to see if the city and the county would, would set up a two-by-two, which is not a public uh, right. activity. It's not a brown active activity, and invite a handful of private sector people to join them to sit down and have a conversation about all the public land ownership in downtown Napa and what we want to do, what, 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 is, what are some of the best alternatives, um, and bring plenary into that because plenary has a lot of information. And then come, come out of that meeting to the public and say, look, we've got all this property. We think it would be a good idea to put City Hall here, whether we can pay for it today or tomorrow or whenever, but this is where it should go. Here's some property that the county can trade with the city, Here's the, here, and the county can sell it after uh-huh. the city owns it. 
but put a strategy together that that we're all that we understand the strategy, not just what the building is going to look like or what the roof overhang is. So it's it's really a function of some elected, some private sector, and conversation. We'll link a few documents to this. Talk a little bit about what what people should take a look at. You mentioned the map that shows all the property that the city and county own. We'll put we, that up. We, we can post some uh, aerial photography that shows city county ownership. Uh, that, that shows corporation yards owned by the the city, uh, the county, Caltrans, uh, the school district. I mean, if you look at some of these aerials, they're half the land is half empty mm-hmm. uh, in areas that could be for housing. Um, we could also put up a little information on these opportunity zones. I think that's a, a federal tax act provision that very few people are, are focused on yet. It's really new. It's only been around mm-hmm. for a few months. And uh, the designation just took place a couple of months ago. Um, and, you know, I guess whatever, if you get questions, I'm happy to try to reply or, or put other things up on your website to, to help. Terrific. John Salmon, I thank you so much for coming in and shedding some light on all this. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this some more. I hope so. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio for the way we live now.